Welcome to Behind the Dugout Podcast. I'm Rachel Downey. Join myself and Troy Townsend each week when we go behind the scenes to look at the world of football. We will chat to those involved in the beautiful game or those who simply just love football. This is the Behind the Dugout Podcast, powered by Paramex Digital. Hi, welcome to Behind the Dugout Podcast. I'm Rachel Downey. I'm joined by our co-host, Abby Summers. Uh, we've got a great show lined up today. No pressure, James. Um, uh, but don't forget <laughs> to subscribe and follow for free. You can find us um, at all your usual podcast places. And you can catch us as well on our socials where you'll see all the behind the scenes pics and, and so much more at the Behind the Dugout. Um, first of all, Abby. How are you? I'm all right. Good morning. Uh, finally, we're doing this. Yes, together. we've been talking about it for a while. Know, it's been in talks for like six months. But we're finally yeah. here on the sofa. Very exciting. Very exciting. Um, and James, I feel I've known like you for quite a while in a weird way. But I guess that's the industry. But yeah, but the first thing I want to talk about, like, you've been working in sports for years. But you actually started out on Shipwrecked. <laughs> oh my God, that's so I random. Can't believe, I, I, know. I can't <laughs> believe you started with that. I've yeah. just seen your eyes perk up, Abby. <laughs> yeah. as well. Oh my goodness me. We'll go in there. Oh, We're okay. going to go. We're starting like. We definitely need to go there. Yeah. Battle oh. of the Islands 2007. Oh, the wow. greatest shipwreck series. <laughs> ever, was it 2007? It was. We were on there 2006. It was my. I remember Christmas, spending Christmas over, over there. That's, That's like so the weirdest nice. rem- memory. I was always thinking about Christmas. Mm. Yeah, that is a yeah. weird Christmas. But your love of, of I guess, the industry, but especially football, started very young. I think I read that when you were six, weren't you writing, like, yeah. match reports? Yeah, yeah, like, it's what, true. What, so it's, it's weird, that. Yeah, so I... Uh, God, you've done your research, Rachel. <laughs> I'm, I'm stalker, that's all. <laughs> I've had time on my hands, James. Yeah, I know, clearly <laughs> now. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah, look, um, when my parents... They moved house to retire. They cleared out all the loft and all, all looked through all the books and stuff and everything that they had. Obviously, a store like a nonsense from when I was at school. And my mum sent me pictures, and it was I was five, six years old, and I was writing match reports from That's the so weekend cute. in school. That's adorable. Talking about Love Paul that. Merson and Alan <laughs> Smith. Wow. With like three Fs after his name. So apologies, <laughs> Alan. But um, yeah, right. six years old. It's quite amazing that I did that then. I always thought that I wasn't really sure what I wanted to do, but actually, clearly, I probably did. Yeah, and so. did you ever play football as a kid? Like, was football always in your life? Was that something? Yeah, knee injuries, knee injuries, classic. <laughs> uh, <laughs> if it wasn't for the knee injury, I know I would have now. made it definitely. <laughs> I mean, I have got two broken knees basically, but no, yeah, I loved it. I, I played nonstop. I mean, every sport under the sun I would play and um, uh, football the annoying thing was f- football was I enjoyed football more than all the other sports but I was probably better at other sports and probably <laughs> could have done a little bit more in my sporting what, what career what were you best at tennis I was very oh. good at one point but uh, it clashed with playing football so mm. I was like oh well gave I play football so I gave it up <laughs> yeah. swimming then I became very good at and again it clashed with football and I had to give it up rugby I was good and then didn't grow um, so I got to about 13 I was I was playing at a very good level and then didn't grow and it started to hurt a lot more when I got tackled. I was like, nah, no, I'm not Yeah, doing not doing this. No. So yeah, yeah, I loved it. Oh, it's always sport though. Sport God, time. you are a sporty person. Yeah, obviously you're an Arsenal fan as well, sitting with two Spurs fans. Yeah, I feel uncomfortable. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. But out, outnumbered, outnumbered yeah. for a change. Where, um, where does your love of Arsenal come from? My granddad, at four years old, bought me an Arsenal kit for my birthday. And that, that was it? That was it. And he wasn't necessarily a big into his football he bought me an Arsenal kit for my birthday four years old that was it 
I never looked back. That's really nice. So is, your dad wasn't a massive Arsenal He's a Crystal fan Palace either. fan, my dad. Oh, wow. So I actually, growing up, went to see Crystal Palace quite a lot. So I've got a soft spot for mm, Crystal yeah. Palace. But uh, it was just this shirt. Just I, I, I don't know what it was. It just gripped me and that was it. I was Arsenal ever since. And do you remember like who took you to your first game? Uh, yeah, it would have been my would have been my dad. I couldn't tell you because I think my first game was Crystal Palace. Somebody, but I remember my first Arsenal game. We went on Boxing Day once with wow. all my family, my cousins. We all went. It was a, must have been about twelve of us went. My first Arsenal game. I am buzzing. Mm -hmm. Go to uh, Highbury. It was just an amazing experience until the game started and it was a nil-nil draw and it was the worst game I've possibly ever seen in my life. So Yeah, and you still love the team. That says still love the team. Exactly. The highlight, Andy Townsend got sent off. There you go. Okay. Not all boring. No, I mean, if I did my research, I could find out what year it was because of that, but it was so dull. It was so dull. But it got a bit better being an Arsenal fan. So And who, like the players from back in the day, who do you remember that you used to Paul Merson. Yeah. Anna Smith again, like, and I've met them and I work with them. Wow! Uh, and it's sometimes it's like pinch me moments, like mm. Tony Adams. That's so. Uh, Tony Adams, I worked with about oh, what did I, I worked with him on a project about five or six years ago, um, and he turned up and I was organising this event and and he walks in about half an hour early and, and I'm just like. I'm supposed to like kind of take control, but I'm just looking at him. <laughs> Starstruck. <laughs> breathe, breathe, breathe. And and anyway, introduced myself and um and I said, Look, Tony, you're early. Like, I can go and get you a coffee, you can sit down. He went, Oh, there's a Starbucks down the road. I was like, Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, if you want to go, yeah, no problem. He's like, Oh, come with me, we'll both go. I looked around, I had so much to do. And I was like, I live at someone yeah, else. Yeah, All yeah. right, Tony, I'll come with you. And come on, mate. I went, first time I meet Tony Adams, I go for a coffee and sit in Starbucks with him for half an hour. He is the nicest mm. man, mm. one of the nicest men I've ever met in my life. He, the, the thing was, you know when you meet these people, you always think you're the one who's asking all the questions because you're so desperate to know things yeah. about them. But he was asking me questions and I found that just yeah. so endearing because you don't usually get that with some people. You don't expect that maybe, that they're going to yeah. show such an interest in you. But he did, and um, uh, he, he never disappointed me, no. I think it's that generation of footballer. Yeah. I think they're just yeah. so much more down to earth. Yeah, all of them. How they like, are now. Like Ray Parler, Paul Merson, David yeah. Seaman. Yeah. You know, all these names, and I've worked with them, and I've had the opportunity to meet them. And, I mean, if you told me that back, you know, when I was a young boy, I'd never believed it at all. So, very lucky. Yeah, very lucky. So, how did it go from you appearing on something like Shipwrecked Mm. Not to keep bringing <laughs> yeah, it back. We, we need to piece this together. Yeah, well, you're excited about shipwrecks, Abby, aren't <laughs> you? You're like only about thirteen. So yeah, yeah I, was trying to have a... I was born in '94. Okay, yeah, no, I would have been a lot older than thirteen. Um, <laughs> yeah, I was a bit older. Yeah, than yeah, yeah. <laughs> this is the part where we're like, ah, this my awkward. maths might be off there as well. Yeah, yeah let's but... just go with your maths. Yeah, yeah pretty close. Awful maths. Yeah. Awful maths. Um, was it because you want you loved the industry? You wanted to get no. in the industry. You had nothing to do over Christmas. No, no, it was, do you know what? It was, it's, it's quite ironic story. So I was, I was out of university. I was working at Power League, the five-a-side football centre. Yeah. Um, I was a general manager there that I'd built myself up. I was doing quite well for myself. I thought in my head, my career was going to go down this management route. And that's where I thought, my dad used to kind of do that sort of management roles. And I thought, actually, maybe I've got that inside me as well. And I watched the old shipwrecked or the last season before yeah. ours with an ex-girlfriend of mine 
And she, she told me, she went, oh, you'd be great on that. And I'm thinking to myself, this is a desert island with beautiful people. Mm. I'm away for months and I've got this girlfriend saying, encouraging me to apply. <laughs> wow, I wanted to marry her. I thought, perfect. What I didn't realise was it was her way of actually breaking up with me. <laughs> In wow. just a really weird oh, wow. way. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Honestly, it was so strange. <laughs> and um, <laughs> and so I went, I went on there just honestly for the experience. You know, this is reality shows back in early 2000. Yeah. One of the best. Best. These are the best kind of reality yeah. shows. Best kind, no social media. Yeah. So no worries about that. Um, and it wasn't about being famous. You're not going on there to be famous because you... There wasn't really a. You might be in a magazine when you get out. But yeah, that's about it. yeah, you want to get a boohoo contract. There are a few, yeah. yeah. There are a few. Torso of the week, Heat magazine, one once. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Torso of the week. Yeah. It was oh a, oh you, my god. Do you know what it was? It was probably the worst picture I've ever seen of you're, me ever as well. You're going to need awful. to dig that out. I'm oh, sorry, it's so bad. I've probably got it somewhere. You frame? Oh, I'd frame it. Oh, I would. I've got it somewhere. Of course, it was so bad. Honestly, I would literally just turned up to Yarn and I was sunburned, squinting. It was not a very good picture. But yeah, so I went on there just for the experience it was just like wow this seems cool applied and got obviously lucky to get on the show and it just opened up a different world for me when I got back and you know I had like about six month little z-list celebrity life touring the country going to nightclubs and waving (laughs) to people and um but it has a shelf life and I was aware of that and I, I wasn't sure what I really wanted to do off the back of it um but I got this agency afterwards and then they churned me out to host some X Factor contestants that were touring the country. Now, I'd never done that sort of stuff before, like comparing. Yeah. I found myself, I was I was good at it. Um, and I'm not, I wasn't as confident as I thought I was back then, but it was, I still felt, actually, I, I've got something about this and I enjoyed it. So that's kind of the route I, I started to go on. And then um, and I got picked up by a model agency. <clears throat> mm-hmm. I did, I know, it did. <laughs> I, and that, again, that that opened up a new world. I never wanted to do that. I never thought I was a model, so to speak. Yeah. And I got opened up to this world that I was you know, fortunate enough to be in and travel the world with it. It was, it was unbelievable. I had like the time of my life. It was hard, but yeah. I had a great time. Who did you model for? Sorry, I just need to know. Actually, yeah, that's a good point. We need to know that. Let's name drop. Come on. Let's name drop. Tommy Hilfiger. Oh, how about that? There's no BHS. There's no like Lara Do. Remember the catalogue he's put through the front door? Tommy Hilfiger is probably, I would say, one of the bigger brands. That's amazing. And I've done your High Street ones, your Tesco, your George Asda, commercials for... Uh, Nintendo Esprit. I remember doing an Esprit commercial, and I it's so oh, God. I'm gonna sound like such a twat. Oh crap! Can I swear? Or, yeah, you can swear. Oh, Say anything. <laughs> I'm so straight cut when I'm on Sky. Uh, and I, I'd well, my first job I booked as a model. I booked this commercial for Esprit, and they took us around the world for four weeks. Oh, so nice! It's so ridiculous. Wow, so, what a life. I want to be a model. Same. <laughs> Honestly, it was so ridiculous. And my when I told my dad that I was going to be. Oh, by the way, Dad. I, I've signed to a model. Like, yeah. He was fuming. He, he, yeah. he was so angry. He, he was just thinking, what are you doing? Because he, he just assumes, oh, you're prancing around in your underwear. Now, I did that a lot of the time, but it was just like, this is ridiculous. Anyway, first two months, I booked nothing. And he was like, look, you need to get a job. You need to get a job. And then I booked this job. And when I told him, he was just like, but how? How is that possible? <laughs> yeah. How is that possible? That you I went to Munich, Hong Kong, Fiji, New Zealand and wow. Vegas. Oh, that's and this insane. was a job. I was like, that's this is a crazy job. The greatest thing ever. Yeah. But you felt like, oh, this is going to be. 
Easy breezy. Well, I did. And I got back and I remember my agency saying, you will never, ever book a better job than that. Ever. Whatever. I don't think you probably will. Have you you since that time? Uh, Not better than that, I don't think. No. I've been to the, I went to the Maldives on a job. That was pretty cool. Um, I need to get me some different jobs. Lived in Tokyo for a few months. That was great. Very well travelled. Yeah. I love it though. Yeah. It's great you experience different cultures. Yeah, Any opportunity true. to do so, it's yeah. I've been lucky. I've been very lucky. And so, when did you kind of think I want to get into sports presenting? How did that happen? Yeah. How did that transition happen? Uh, Two thousand fifteen. I I worked with the ICC for the Cricket World Cup, so I did a daily show for them. So we did about thirty eight episodes, and I oh. I got the job by literally simply applying from an ad I saw on Twitter. Really? Yeah. That's mad. Simple as that. I. I Took the chance. Some was someone was looking for cricket presenters. I, I I had a show reel that I, you know, put together. Didn't have particularly anything sport related in there because I hadn't really gone into mm. that area at that point. And and I did this show, and it was you know it, it was big. It was you know social views were millions and millions. Indian market, Pakistan market, Bangladesh. Yeah. Apparently, I've got loads of fans in Bangladesh. So <laughs> I always feel like if if work dries up here, Bangladesh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I'm coming Straight for over you. There. Yeah, yeah, I'm yeah. coming for you. Um, <laughs> And, and I thought that was going to be the start of it. And I I had some really big meetings afterwards with Star Sports in India. And I, oh, I yeah. thought this was it. This was my, oh, it's going to be cricket. And I, I really always thought it'd be football, but I thought it's going to be cricket. And six, seven months passed and nothing changed. And I was like, oh my God, it isn't it. It isn't it. And, um, and I had to really like take a step back and go, right, okay, this isn't working. How can I divulge and get into the sports area and speaking to a few friends of mine just to start discuss like journalism i'm going oh okay okay that could be interesting so i went back and studied and wow. took a year out studied nctj news and sport journalism and that was it changed my life Do you know it takes a lot to take mm. a year out but take a step back 31 years old i was yeah sat at the front of the class hand up Wow. The geek of the class. So you did the whole course within a year? Yeah, did it. Yeah, That's I had brilliant. to do it kind of part-time, so I had to still work and earn money, but mm. literally it was, you know, I was working, coming home, studying. That's great. Um, yeah, I, that is. I was on jobs and I took my book and my law book and my public affairs book and, yeah, studied like a like a geek and I loved it. And then, so when you, when you left, like, how did you then just apply to those jobs that you maybe, who dismissed you before yeah, with was, this... Qualification. You know what it's like in the industry, you get rejected all the time. Yeah. <laughs> it's just constant. Yeah. You're always rejected. Um, which doesn't sound, I mean, I'm sounding like I'm crying about it. But no, but that's, just, the that's the industry. Yeah. You just deal more, with it. more no's than yes's. Yeah. Oh, and gosh, I think yeah. that's what people don't see, isn't it? Sometimes people see you doing really well and they're like, great, but you don't know how many no's and doors that have been shut for you to even get that one opportunity. Yeah. 100%. It's a hard yeah. industry. Oh, it's mm. tough. And, and so, look, yeah, it's it just, I, again, a lot of it's timing, a lot of it's sometimes people you know, but you've also got to still progress your career and do that. And, and basically a, a meeting with, a random meeting with my sister and a, a guy that I grew up with on the same street who I hadn't seen for years and years and years. My sister met him. He had opened a door at Yahoo for her, literally opened a door and I'm like, oh my God, how are you? And anyway, he was working on this new, for this new company called Dugout at the time. She spoke about me saying, I've just done this journalism. He then went, oh, put me in touch. Like, I might be able to do something. 
went, met him for a coffee. He then introduced me to the hierarchy of dugout. Next thing I know, I'm oh. hired at this football media company, brand new startup business. I'd just come off the back of the journalism degree and I'm like, oh my God, I'm working with the biggest clubs in the world. This company was owned by likes of Paris Saint-Germain, Man City, Arsenal, Chelsea, Barcelona, Real Madrid. Like, it was just like, wow, oh my goodness me. And in I was. You know, sometimes, I'm not saying like sometimes it can be that easy when you get in, but sometimes it can be. You Mm. can work and work and work and work. Then all of a sudden it takes, oh, I know someone, like contact this person. It's, that's why you can never give up in this industry because... You don't know when that next opportunity is coming. So how long did you work with Dugout for? So I was there for around about three years. Wow, good job. Yeah, it was hard work. I had to do a variety of different jobs. So it wasn't, I wasn't presenting. I, I was presenting a bit towards the end on certain projects, but I was I was behind a laptop. I was working in the content team. Yeah. Um, it was a startup business. You, you're you being dragged one way, you're being dragged the other, it, but it was the best learning curve I could have mm. got because you add into your skill set you're doing stuff that maybe just seems mundane but you know the benefit of it for the whole business mm. and you were invested in making the business work as your role and i built myself up i was there for you know three years was a good effort at that time there was a you know come people were coming and going all the time and started then looking after the content team then i became a club managing editor so i was looking after relationships with all our clubs we had leagues we had like the mls that i was working closely with as well in america Um, we were advising people on how to like maximize their content opportunities it was it was a different job but it was great and and i really benefited from being really sucked in and involved in this industry but it was a presenting that i still still really wanted um that what, was it. what was your next move from that did you get a job that took you away from that? no i i got made redundant um oh, wow. it, it's it was not the easiest time of my life i'm not gonna lie i lost another client about a month later as well because the company stopped that was at itv and mm. and i was a bit crossroads again going oh my goodness me like because this was i i really did enjoy it it was a bit of a difficult time it, it ended up being a bit a little bit messy there were stuff i won't say on this podcast i'll tell you afterwards <laughs> about aftermath of what happened um it was difficult really difficult but i was motivated to prove them wrong and show them what i really could do because i felt like towards the end my value they didn't value me as much Mm. and i didn't like that Mm. and i took it personally to prove them wrong and i did prove them wrong because again i saw an ad on twitter right sky sports news presenter where are you seeing these ads (laughs) you've got to search harder i've got to look at my twitter (laughs) it's now x you know it's yeah but look yeah I, I saw an ad on twitter and i was like oh, well i apply and i'd applied for a lot of stuff at sky before that a lot of mm. content-based stuff so mainly stuff behind the camera that now i was felt like i was building towards because of what my experience was at dugout and i i just applied and i didn't really i'd had rejections all the time and i was like oh, do i do it oh well i just do it. You yeah. know what I mean? Just do it. And and I did. And I, I remember it, I didn't hear anything back for about four weeks. Had completely forgotten about it. Just forgot. Didn't even think it was happening. And I had a phone call on a Friday night. Weird time. About seven o'clock at night. I was like, who's yeah. calling me on Friday? <laughs> Dodgy <laughs> number or a little hookup. Or yeah. <laughs> and uh, anyway, and uh, and it was a senior producer asking me for an interview. Oh, um, wow. 
I couldn't believe it. Yeah, it was unbelievable. Yeah. You know, that's a great example of what this industry is like. It's, it is. it's up and down, up and down. You're feeling disheartened at a job. You know you can do more. You know you're not getting the, the help that you need. And then, and then you get made redundant. Mm-hmm. And it's like, I've got to start again. Mm-hmm. And many people could have that approach that maybe aren't involved in this industry of, I've got to find the energy to do this again. And you have to pick yourself back up. You've got to carry on. Yeah, but, but because no one's going to work harder than yourself. Yeah. You know, it doesn't matter if you've got agents or what. They're still not going to work as hard as you mm. will for yourself. Uh, and it was, you know, you can sit around and be, you can sit there feeling sorry for yourself, right? And we've all had moments in our lives. It doesn't matter what industry you're working where you feel a little bit sorry for yourself. But you've got to stop that quick because ultimately that, ain't, that isn't going to help anyone. Mm. So sit there and feel sorry for yourself. Great. Well, that's not going to move something forward. So. Yeah. I've always used my rejections as motivation to prove people wrong. That's worked for me. It might not work for other people, but for me it was like, right, I need to prove these people wrong. And I did. And by getting the opportunity at Sky, all of a sudden, my first day at Sky, I've got all these friends in this office message me videos, them watching on the big screens in the office. And apparently the person, one of the people who I didn't particularly like towards the end who wasn't very pleasant... He was very upset by it. Oh, really? Oh, that's amazing. And he was very annoyed that everybody was stood up watching yeah. and, and distracted from their work because there I was on Sky. Proving everyone wrong. And proving everyone wrong. Mm. And it was brilliant. And it was and, and that made me feel good. And I still use that as motivation today to yeah, go. I wouldn't blame I'm not you. finished. You know, yeah. I'm not finished now. I still want more and more and more. Do you know what? That is like the ultimate, isn't it? Yeah. Like leaving a job that you didn't like that you felt didn't really respect you. Mm. And you're on Sky Sports. It's such a great Oh, oh, that is. Oh, oh, it was. It was. And I, oh, look, I don't like being that person, but. Oh, yeah, come on. Oh, come on. Yeah. 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 It. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's like, yeah, right. Absolutely. How could yeah. you not love it? Yeah. So, yeah. what? So, you, your first time at Sky Sports, um, and how, by, how many like interviews did you have to have? So, so I went, had an interview with, yeah, senior producer and two presenters there, and. And the interview it was it was quite intense, but it was I was so nervous. Yeah. I mean, this is the dream, really. Mm. You know, the reason why I went back and studied was to work in sport, ultimately to work for a big broadcaster like Sky. So this was it. This was my dream right here. And, uh, and I remember in the middle of the interview, they give you a test. A test. Yeah? They give you a test. Not like a math test, or well, if it was a math test, I'd be all right. I'm really good with numbers. I'm weird. I, wish, like, I wish I was like, a bit that. like Rain Man. <laughs> um, but no, like a test on sport. Oh, so, like an actual test on sports. Actual test, and they tell you, look, don't don't panic. I'd be panicking. It's just, <laughs> right, if you get it wrong, I'm don't panic. Now. I'm panicking. <laughs> panicking. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Too late. Sweaty. <laughs> and they wanted to just test your sporting knowledge, and it was almost like their way of just making sure they can do all your digging and research mm. of a candidate, but yeah. it's making sure that they you really do stuff. know. So, what questions were in your test? You must remember uh, one. Yeah, what I remember one. One was what number was Lewis, is Lewis Hamilton's car? Yeah. Got that right, 44. Yeah. Right, so that's... Okay, that's all right. That so was good. Like we got that one. English managers of the Premier League clubs. I assume okay. that was like current and stuff like that. Yeah, yeah. at the time. Now, that, <laughs> you think that's easy, but when you're in this high-pressured environment... Again, I'd yeah, panic. Yeah. Go blank. Panicked. Of course you do. Absolutely. Panicked. So I, I really panicked, <laughs> and I missed some really obvious oh, ones. To the point I'm where when I, walk, when I, I walked out the door, I walked out the door and we were walking down the steps and there was a big picture of one of these managers at the time. Who did you miss? I looked and went, Frank Lampard. Oh, <laughs> oh God. Like this. And then I went, oh, 
Roy Hodgson. And I went and said someone else as well. And it was just like, oh my God, like your brain just does these weird yes. things, doesn't it? Yeah. Really? Yeah, it was, uh, it was. So that was funny. That was a funny experience. Do you have to write it down? Was it like one of those kind of tests? Yeah, they, they, they've all sat there. And you're that's, <laughs> just, that's so they're awkward. trying to like not look at you because it's weird. And you're just writing down. And But there's like, you know, Solheim Cup, there was 100, uh, 100 teams because it was coming up to the start of that tournament. Mm. Uh, yeah, there was all sorts of sports and it was just testing your range of knowledge. Wow, yeah. I'm actually quite That's a bit mad. surprised. Yeah, it was good. It, 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 was, it was interesting afterwards. I was like, oh, I, I see why you did that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I yeah, like I can it. see why you guys are doing all right for yourselves. Yeah, so look, I had that interview. <laughs> I, I then got a call a couple of weeks later and I didn't didn't get the presenter job. Uh, they gave it to someone internal. Because you missed Frank Lampard. Because <laughs> I basically missed the most <laughs> obvious answer ever. Um, but they decided to give me an opportunity to be a reporter um, oh, wow. on a freelance basis and they saw enough. They then got me on this transfer show, so I did a month of the tra- this transfer show, and everything was great. And then off the bat, I was doing loads of reporting already, thrown right into the deep end, like literally thrown into the deep end. I remember doing a West Ham job. Didn't nobody really told me what what to expect, and it was just like go in and do it, like, oh just my, go and oh just find God. your feet. And but for me, I love that. Yeah. Now I know other people might feel differently, but for me, it's like give me that live. I love the live environment. Yeah. You know, you sink or swim, and I've been used to being on live TV a lot and swimming and just constantly, just, you find a way, you find a way. And and it was the best experience, but then COVID hit and that was an absolute disaster. So I had this amazing start, this real buzz of working for Sky, COVID hit, and then I'm doing nothing. I had a year, over a year, where I did maybe two or three jobs for Sky. That's crazy. Wow. You're listening to the Behind the Dugout podcast, powered by Paramex Digital. Nothing at all. So no zooms. I suppose I can't it's remember mad, when isn't they... it? How the world literally stopped. It did. Everything it stopped. Quite a while. Yeah. Yeah. The industry that you think is always going to continue sport even stopped for a period. I think motorsport came back. They were the first sports. Mm. I remember doing some zooms for the first few races. Mm-hmm. We weren't allowed anywhere near a race, and everyone was in their bubbles. Bubbles. I remember that. Zooms. So you didn't have any, only No, because the problem is you've got, you know, I was a freelancer, so you've got full-time yeah. people, and if you only need to just log onto a Zoom, you can sit in the same place, log onto a Zoom, log onto another, log onto another. You don't need individual people at different press conferences, or you, you couldn't be at training grounds, because, again... Well, I mean, yeah, bubble. Yeah. It's actually mad that we lived through that. I know. It's just, it's and that was only like a couple of years ago. Oh, it's really no. surreal. It's really mad. It feels like a long time ago, but it feels like a couple of years ago as well. It feels yeah. like a it just mixes. bizarre. Like, what yeah. a bizarre time. I know. We're going to be talking about it forever. Yeah, but we? now we just like yeah. live with COVID and like no one really ever talks about I, it. Which is again what I don't really understand. It's like, what, what, why did we go from one extreme to the other? <laughs> I know. Like, I don't. Just don't try and think about yeah, it. It's not too much. the answer. It's too much. Yeah. Well, during that time of, of COVID, did mm. you kind of think, I'm going to maybe have to find something else? I did. Yeah. I did. I've, I found something else. So, what were you doing? So I uh, got in touch. I went through my contacts and got in touch with a few people, posted a few fa- things. I, I think I remember. So I was using my time in COVID. I was actually, I started a action group in my area to help elderly people who couldn't oh, get out, wow. to help uh people with illnesses to not go like who can go to the shop to pick up stuff so i prepared everything and we yeah it was brilliant it, we had a great community of people it was a, it was quite it was quite a special time actually yeah. because you realize that you know when the chips are down we're not actually that bad of a human race mm. 
and we're quite fortunate in this country there are some actually really special people and mm. we had to co- I had to constantly say no to volunteers how ridiculous is that mm. man but with so many so nice. I'd that put a message really nice. going I need somebody to pick up a prescription and I'd have like honestly 20 messages me 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 people desperate to help wow. it was unbelievable really restores really, like your faith a little bit doesn't oh, it oh restored all my humanity. faith yeah I mean that's probably gone recently but <laughs> yeah. it, it, it's, yeah. it, it, at the time it did yeah. and um yeah so I used my time for that and I I remember posting something about it and then this this guy had an events business got in touch with me who I'd met at a, another charity event a while ago and um and he he had this events company but obviously covid so he then moved was moving it onto the digital side and he thought I could help him originally to host, but then I ended up started doing helping him in his social media team because of my experience at Dugout with the content side, so helping him oh, on a yeah. content basis. Then we were bridging to clients about uh, producing video footage. So I bought in a video editor that I'd worked with and a camera guy that had actually met at Dugout as well. So all of a sudden everything started coming together and I started working for this this guy and it wasn't every day but it i was doing say an hour or two a day maybe so it it just kept me busy and kept yeah. me focused and motivated and and it was great yeah you just had to find a way yeah right? yeah you know you, you have to do something during that time you have to do something and uh and again i've always learned that there's always something more you can do mm. so you can sit on your ass you can send all these in but there's always more you can do and you just mm. gotta just keep trucking i like, that. I like that i mindset. do and it's about hustling isn't it in this industry and grafting it's and a lot of blagging it's yeah. a lot of blagging. It's a lot of blagging. And I also think it's a lot of backing yourself. Yeah. Uh, even when you really don't want to and you're not in the headspace. No one yeah. is, like you said before, no one is going to do it. No. And no one's going to do it more than you. So it's finding a way, regardless of what else is going on in your life, yeah. to make yourself get to the places that you need to be and put on. It's like having different personalities, to be honest yeah. with you, isn't it? Putting on different hats. And I think, yeah, it's like, because I found during COVID, I reinvented myself as an F1 expert. I've been in motorsport for years. I was wondering what you were going to say. Yeah. Yeah. I reinvented yeah. myself. Uh, <laughs> Where's she going? Where's she going? Um, because I just figured, you know, a lot of presenters are probably starting from the same place now. And I knew motorsport was coming back. So I was like, brilliant. I could just say I'm a Formula One expert. If you're an expert with anything, you don't mm. need to be. I mean, I don't know. We're not taking a test like a Sky Sports. Luckily, um, <laughs> and then I started getting more F one work, and that, and that, and that, but that you have to, you got to sometimes. It's like creating your own work. Yeah, that's absolutely. what this industry is about. Yeah, it's like with regular jobs, people lie on their CV. Yeah, all the time. Yeah, I've got this degree. All or, the, oh yeah, this degree, that degree. I think they do check that. That just confirm. <laughs> I, I've never lied on my CV. But, <laughs> yeah. 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 but it's you know, it's you are if you've worked in that industry for a long time. I mean, you are a bit of an expert, to be fair. Yeah, own it. Yeah, I mean. I, and I always say, like, you, you blag it and you just keep on blagging it till someone realises. Yeah. You feel like that with some... You must... Some of the interviews you've done, especially recently, you must feel a bit like, oh, my God, I can't believe I'm doing this. Or have you, are you over that now? And like, actually, this I, I deserve this. Yeah, I, I, I am over it now. Yeah. And, and, and that's not sounding arrogant. Good. I, I, I'm comfortable yeah. now. So I... Which is an amazing feeling to have. And I could be put in front of anybody and... Yeah, it, it doesn't, I, I don't get like worried or nervous or anything like that. I just feel this is just normal. Like whether it's, you know, Tyson Fury. I mean, he's a heavyweight champion of the world. You never know what you're going to get with Tyson mm. Fury, but mm. I could still sit there and have a chat with him. Anthony Joshua, the same. Um, and then in football, you know, sat down with Mikel Arteta. Not always the easiest person. You never sometimes know what, what mood he's yeah. going to be in and how he's going to be. But 
you know, you get to know, you build the relationships up, you get to know, but you also, <clears throat> you, you gain respect in this industry and you mm. can actually gain respect quite quickly by just doing your job, doing your research, working hard. Yeah. And people, people recognise that. Mm. And it's your peers that recognise it, the other journalists, the communications teams at the, at the football clubs, and then the managers and the players that you speak to. They, they know who you are. Yeah. They know you're going to be fair. You're a nice guy or a nice person. And then they're going to give you a decent interview. And it, mm. it just makes you feel, yeah, all this hard work, this is what I've done it for. Mm. And I, I, I do believe I deserve to be here. I really do. Yeah, Others might disagree and say yeah. you're completely useless. <laughs> like James Green. <clears throat> but that's fine. That's fine. But no, I really do. I, I feel I've, I've, I've worked hard. I deserve to be here. Yeah. But I don't expect to just sit back and relax now and think, I'm here now. That's it. I don't need to do anything. I'm still freelance. I have to bust my bollocks. Do you like that every day being freelance, or would you like some days? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> when I book a holiday, I do. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> to be honest, that's probably the great times that you can be freelance. It's that balance. I, I've had this conversation a lot recently about freelance, and I think uh, there's a lot of people wanting to be freelance at the moment, and I think they're really focusing solely on the benefits, which is great. There yeah. are some amazing benefits of being yeah. freelance. You can work with. Whoever you want, loads of clients, loads of different clients, variety, which is great, but you haven't got that security. Absolutely. Yeah. And you true. still have to hustle every single day. Exhausting. It is exhausting. Yeah. Like I'm, at the moment, I, I'll be honest with you, I've had a quiet little spell, a couple of weeks, a little bit quieter. Like, oh, crap. And yeah. I'm back hustling. Mm. I'm back on LinkedIn. I'm back having meetings with people. I'm back sending my CV out to people or my showreel or looking at different opportunities, maybe away from this sort of industry a little bit more as well. Like just back at it. You kind of every now and again get a bit of a bump back down to earth to go, yeah. mm, don't get too comfortable. Yeah. Like you've got to then push on. And then it's about like, right, okay, I'm a reporter. So what can I do to give myself more work? Well, okay, I can look for some more stories. So then you're, you're trying to find a story somewhere. So that's when your journalism hat switches on. Yep. So it's just, you're nonstop, you're ticking all the time. So it's hard. And that's tiring as well. Especially yeah. when you've done like good gigs and it's like, oh, to have to like mm. keep Proof on yourself. looking for that work. Yeah. yeah, constantly proving yourself. And the yep. industry's always changing and evolving and you've got to be one step ahead. You've got to be, you know, be able to adapt and go along with that and keep on reinventing who you are. Yeah, it's, it's like, even now, you know, I, I've been on Sky now for four, coming up to four years. Mm. Um, been on there very regularly, especially over summer. I was on there a lot. But even now, I will still send emails out and not get replies mm. and not get responses. Yeah. And we know, like, I speak to so many young people who get really beat up by the fact they're not getting responses. It doesn't just happen to young people. It happens, it happens to, to people who yeah. are maybe experienced in the industry. It can still happen. Everyone in the industry. Everybody. Yeah. There's never a moment when you're like, oh, I've made, I, I don't I've think there's ever it. a moment yeah, <laughs> yeah. where you've completely made it and you're like, oh, that's it. Be done. good though, wouldn't it? <laughs> I mean, it'd be lo lovely. Oh, yeah. wouldn't it'd be, it be nice? Give me. Yeah, it's yeah. never going to happen. So no, In never. my head, it's not going to happen. And I've just kind of learned to live this way and I have done now for the last you know, 17, 18 years, really. What gigs have really stood out for you? Oh. Like what interviews, what? Oh, blimey. Oh, I wish I'd prepped. <laughs> right. I wish I'd prepped. Oh, my goodness me. Which interviews? You're an Arsenal fan as well. Is it quite amazing yeah, look, something within the club? Yeah, look, work, working in Arsenal, every time you go to Arsenal, it's like, okay, this is quite... Sitting down with Mikel Arteta. Mm, I mean, yeah. Okay, this is pretty cool. Like, sat on a bench opposite him. Before, do you know what? I prefer the stuff before the interview, where mm. we're actually just chatting away yeah. and we're having a normal conversation and you kind of think, yeah, this is... 
this is nice. Yeah. This is pretty cool. Um, oh, look, I've, I've done, I've been so lucky. I've yeah. done some great stuff. But look, some of the stuff that sits harder with me, like I did an interview with Stephen Reed. Uh, he's now coaching at Noskin Forest. He used to play for Blackburn. Mm-hmm. I did his first interview when he came out and admitted that he had a panic attack while playing football and he had suffered from mental health. And I contacted him through his agent to get this interview and we sat down we sat down in his garden and it was I loved it it was brilliant it was a really it was I would say for me it was my best interview just it really raw. it was raw Honest. it was real it was emotional it I, I I understand mental health and that side of things really well I've worked on a documentary in the past on it so I understand it and to speak to somebody who is an elite sportsman and to hear him share his story like that and to kind of reveal something so extreme was quite a special time, actually. So, yeah. The, and you put that together. That's what's Yeah, and, and then to be able to actually get that. And I think when you're able, I think a lot of the stuff I do when I'm able to actually start, get that opportunity. Mm-hmm. It's like seizing an opportunity. If you see it, you're at ground, you might see a chairman walk past. Like, I saw Steve Parrish walk past at Crystal Palace. Hold on a minute. Maybe we could grab him because there was a story around Palace at the time. And we managed to do it. And I managed to get Brilliant. an interview with Steve Parrish. And it's, and it's seizing those opportunities. Yeah. And I think you get more out of them than anything that's kind of structured. Yeah. Um, but yeah, look, look, I've done some cool stuff. Like the events stuff I work on as well. They're great fun. Like we, we've got events business and we create fan zones for football, like England and Euros and World Cup. And it, brilliant you've got thousands of fans throwing beers in the air you're on yeah. stage you can say yeah. what the fuck you like yeah. so as well as you've been I, I have to juggle it so it's funny because I do I get Sky down at our events quite a lot because it's great access you get loads of fans we get a legend down there so one minute I'm on stage going oh fucking hell I ate the Italian <laughs> the ref's a prick the next I'm like oh so what did you make of the uh, referee's performance you know it's, uh, so it's good fun I love the event side the live stuff I, I, yeah. I, I get a real buzz from it actually yeah, so it's constant just reinventing yourself, creating your own work. Um, and you mentioned there about mental health, and you work with a charity. Mm-hmm. Uh, so tell us a little bit about, about that. Yeah, so I work with, well, I'm actually about to be announced as one of their ambassadors oh, wow. uh, for Saying Goodbye, which is a charity that uh, looks after families who suffer baby loss. Mm-hmm. They're part of the Mariposa Trust, and they're a charity really close to my my heart now. Um it was three years ago my partner suffered a mis- miscarriage and it was the most heartbreaking time of my life. Uh, I was one of these people who everyone dreams about being like footballers and all this stuff. Actually, I wanted to be a dad. Um, it's, I, I really did. All I wanted to be was a dad. I wanted to grow up with my children, nurture them, help them, coach them, football, whatever it is. I sit there and watch the sport on TV with a little person with me. I had these visions since I was younger and to have that ripped away just broke me, broke me to a point where I've never been broken before. I've had times that have been tough in my life like everybody has, but this was, this was different. And I spent two weeks, I remember spending two weeks, I couldn't speak to anybody. Um, I remember my sister messaging me going, are you okay? And I was angry. I was fuming. I was like, why the f- would she say that? Of course I'm not, you know. Yeah. Obviously, eventually calmed down and realised she was just actually just checking in on me. Um, but I was not in a bad, I was not in a good space and I, the worst space I've ever been in. Mentally, mm. not there. I wasn't present uh, at all for two weeks. That's a long period of time to not feel you're here. Yeah. Um, and 
my partner showed unbelievable strength at the start and and she put something out on her, her social media and I couldn't believe it. I was flabbergasted that she had this strength to be able to actually put something into words, which she does amazingly, but to then put it out there that this is what's happened. And I couldn't believe it. And I remember one night I was really scared. I was on my own. She was away, I think, working and... I was on my own and I was getting really worried. I was in a really, not a good place. And I was like, how am I going to, how can I deal with this? And I decided to set my camera up and film myself talking about it. And I finally opened up. Um, and it, I, I thought, right, I've opened up. And I pressed that it button and I posted it. And I put it out there. I wasn't going to. I literally set it up for myself to speak talk almost feel like I'm talking to somebody and um and I posted it and the video went fairly viral and uh the lady who set up the charity actually reached out to me and got in touch with me and um ever since then I used that period I realized that actually putting it out there being vulnerable helped so many other people and the amount of messages I got from others who shared the same feelings that I was going through I had wives message me asking me to get in touch with their husbands I had husbands message me sharing their stories and it became really cathartic to speak like that and actually yeah. to share that experience with people. And, and ever since then, it was like, hold on, this has got me out of my really bad, dark place. And so I decided, right, I need to just continue to raise awareness. So, yeah, raise, raise money. That is really amazing. Run half marathons, go to their yes. charity ball. And I did their, did their auction last year. I spoke on stage twice now, talking about our experiences. And... Yeah, look, it's one of the things, isn't it? Because social media is weird, isn't it? Right. Mm, very we, you were talking about it before, weren't mm. we? About the fact everybody puts all their beautiful pictures and yeah. their perfect life on social media. That's what we're used to. So when somebody puts something that's maybe a bit hard hitting, mm-hmm. I don't think people react in the best way sometimes. I think, yeah. oh, I don't want to see that. I don't want to mm-hmm. see that. But if I'm doing it and it's helping one or two people who do happen to see it and it actually goes, well, actually, that that really helps me, then I don't give a shit about everyone else who doesn't really want to see it and thinks I'm just harping on about the same thing. I I, I feel I need to do it. And we, I think all with charity work and stuff like that, it's so easy to sit back and let someone else do it. Mm. Do you know what I mean? Oh, we'll let someone else do it. Mm. What if no one else does it? Yeah, it's true. Then what happens to those people who are really struggling and really vulnerable? So sometimes you just got to, feel like you've just got to step up and, and and for me that's it so look i'm proud of it i'm proud of raising the awareness of it most people i speak to now know that i'm going through it because of my social media and how how i utilize it and use it and i'm okay with that like that's okay i'm okay with people knowing my story because mm-hmm. if they do it's someone that they know who's going through it then if it happens to a family member or a friend of theirs maybe they're there and able to support them a little bit better yeah, I think that's lovely. And it's education, isn't it? Because like, yeah. I went through four rounds of IVF and I don't really talk about it publicly. Um, and I, I, don't, I, I, I don't know why. And I, mm-hmm. but I think I, I deal with things very, like when I'm going through it, it's like you don't. And I, I did it all very closely next to each other as well. So it was all very intense. Um, but it's the more you talk about it, the more you are genuinely helping other people because I didn't know anyone had gone through this and i always assumed first round of ivf you'll get pregnant i always thought that that's it's gonna be it's gonna be me like of course it is i'm I'm fine like nothing's wrong with me and then it doesn't and then it just you you do like mentally physically 
as a woman, you feel like you're not a woman. Yeah. You 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 don't feel like that, and then you see other people falling pregnant really easily, and it's like, well, we'll get, we got told for years, you know, oh, you, you women fall pregnant really easily, got to be careful, and all of this, mm. but it, it's not the case at all, and I still feel now like I'm so so lucky, but I'm still really scared. Yeah. Of, I, I was even scared of announcing that, like not announcing I was pregnant, mm. but putting anything on my socials because it's something that, yeah, it's. It's it's a it's a road that if you ever go down it is one of the hardest and it's still not spoken about enough. But the, when you're in the waiting rooms at IVF clinics with other people, you see the amount of people and the, there's loads of clinics in London, for yeah, instance, and all yeah, over the UK. Yeah. But you see the amount of people that are struggling and going through it, and it's just like this is not this is not abnormal. You know, I've, I've I mentioned I've lost a baby, and it's not people have done, mm. and it's a shame and it's what's well, horrendous. But we're not a rarity. No, we're not. I, I think people, <clears throat> we're still at a point where maybe society still doesn't quite understand mm. what it all means mm. and what p- families have to go through during those processes and how incredibly tough it is yeah. and how much it affects your life. We're getting better. The charity I work with have done a really amazing campaign recently which is actually going through now the process of becoming law so they're trying to change how the law currently is now which will support families better which is amazing but we still need to keep going further because it does like the i if i'm being honest i'm not the same person Mm. sat here as Mm. i was three years ago there's no way i've got this tension inside me i've got this anxiety inside me that i never ever had before and that's all come from the experiences we've had. And, yeah. You know, we speak about it before that. I think, I think you're both inc- incredibly brave, you know, to, to share your stories. And I think that, you know, things happen in people's lives and you aren't the same. I lost mm. my mum last year and I had a really severe depression last year into this year. Um, and it took me, you know, some very harsh conversations to, to pull myself out of it. I was at a point where I didn't want to live and nobody knew that. I was a functioning depressive. I went to work yeah. and it was only my partner that really got the brunt of it. And I didn't even know I was doing it because when you're in that trauma, as you were talking about before, um, you know, when you suffered the the mis- miscarriage that, you know, you, you don't want to talk to anyone, but mm-hmm. you don't know the effect that that's having on anybody around yeah. you. And it's very, very difficult because it's not that you're trying to be selfish. It's just that, you can't even think for yourself, let alone another person. Mm-hmm. So I think what you did was sharing how you felt. That's so incredibly brave. And you, the amount of people that you won't even know that that's touched yes, so true. is amazing. And you should be so proud of yourself because also there's such a stigma around men and mental health mm-hmm. as well. And, yeah. you know, it's so, so important that, you know, not just men, but men in particular, because they do struggle more with it, that they are open and the effects that, you know, having IVF, not mm-hmm. just on a woman, but on a relationship and also on a man and as a husband that that, that causes. Mm-hmm. And you've got to be strong for your wife and that's how you think of it because she's the one that's going through the IVF and all the treatment but it does affect you as well and I think it's amazing the charity work that you're doing mm-hmm. and I think when people are just honest about what they're going through yeah. it helps people yeah. connect to you and it makes you feel better because it's you're keeping all that tension inside you you know whether it's your depression or your anxiety it's just saying look I've got this I'm mm-hmm. dealing with this and some people don't get it but it's not about other people it's just about that release for you and how much better you'll feel about just letting it yeah. just letting it out because there be, are so many people that have it as well just being honest isn't it mm. you, you know yeah. the normal conversation you have with people how are you yeah I'm fine yeah, it's you, easy it's to do. Such a, it's it's logged yeah. in. I've got to say I'm fine. Yeah, I've got yeah, to say yeah. I'm fine. Yeah. And actually, I've started to very recently, I've really started to not do that. 
good. Actually, and if I don't feel it, and, and and I see that somebody who I know and I trust and they're genuinely genuinely asking me, yeah. I'll tell them. You know, yeah. Do you know what? Pfft, I'm not doing good at the moment. This has happened. It's hard. I don't want to bring you down, but that's the truth. Mm. Um, and if they can't handle that, and then okay, oh, you're not really a friend. Exactly. Yeah. You know what I mean? But I I feel like I need to be more honest now. Now that's not like you know. Look, every day's different, and I'm not not sitting here like a. You know, I haven't got my head down. I'm still pushing myself yeah. and but i can still talk about the fact yeah i've got something going on in my life that is really affecting me in a negative way um and people don't yeah most people don't know it because you know we're all on screen yeah. right we do jobs on screen mm. we're on camera you know how will people know well, but that's the hardest thing and that's what i think people don't understand unless you maybe do our job yeah. that you know you don't want to get up in the morning sometimes and especially when you're in that state and you know you've got all this shit that's going on behind the scenes yeah. but as soon as that camera starts you're a different personality. You have to, yeah. you, you have to because it's your job. And, and that's that point, a hard job no, in itself to do. Yeah, yeah. at that point, yeah, no one gives is. a shit yeah. about your issues. It yeah. sounds awful saying that, but no, the brutal true. truth is no one gives a shit. Mm. Yeah. You are there to do your job, whether that's, even if that's, look, you're behind a laptop or whatever, it's exactly the same. You're still going to do your job. Mm. Ours is just different because we're front facing yeah. and we have to put on a brave face and we have to, you know, the amount of times I'm sucking it up, sucking it up, sucking it up, but it's hard mm -hmm. and then you leave as soon as you leave I mean you know I'm, I'm be honest the amount of times I've been on my car on the way back from a training ground yeah. I'm crying my eyes out because I've been holding it in all day yeah. being just switching it off getting it out of my mind but then I get in my car and I get this release of and fear feeling that reality's still there yeah and it comes out and I'm, oh my god that's happened loads in the yeah. last last year in particular it's just been brutal but you know we have to keep going and keep yeah. sharing and talking and yeah you have to keep going you can't yeah that's the thing we can't stop no we can't then stop. we'll never get no. the things we actually want absolutely yeah. um and how can we find how can people find out more about the charity uh so saying goodbye is the charity um you can follow me on james green in uk over yeah. on socials and i you know i post stuff about them um we've got an amazing woman who runs the charity zoe clark coates who She's an MBE for her work in this sector. She does just so much work raising awareness for it. She's unbelievable what she does, mm. selfless. She suffered losses in the past as well. And she is pushing for rights to change, for laws to change, for families to get more support, for men as well to get more yeah. support. And this is this is the area where I want to push more. You need and it. Yeah. Because, and it, again, it's, you know, look, females go through it physically and mentally. It's so horrific mm. what you have to go through and any females have to go through with the whole pregnancy saga, even if it's just a normal pregnancy. It's bloody brutal. Mm. And the guy, we, you know, we all sit there. I've got to admit, I sit there a lot of time and go, thank fuck I'm a man. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> That's what my husband <laughs> said so here. many times. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Big relief. Like yeah. This. Thanks um, very much upstairs. I do remember. <laughs> I, I, here you go. I'll share this funny story before we go. But uh, when like, we, we've gone through this miscarriage so we, we've been sorry smack my mic we've been pregnant we've hadn't had a problem but we're now like going through like a different cycle and we have to you have to go through these phases where you're like okay well we have to test everything so as a man i need to make sure i test my yeah. my stuff and uh, <laughs> i went in this clinic and it's stressful really stressful yeah i don't know how panicking anyway, yeah. in this room weird room lazy boy plasma screen oh, touch screen porn hub yeah Kid yeah. you not, right? True, true story. And um, noise outside the room. You're like, oh my god, builders outside the room. 
Bloody hell. And I remember walking out afterwards and phoning my fiance. Going, oh, but it's so stressful. <laughs> so that was the hardest thing of it. She's like, you, all you had to do is f***ing wank in a car. Yeah. <laughs> I've had to do this. That. And that was it, the reality. I was like, oh, shit, yeah, I'll never moan again. No. Uh, never moan again. To be fair, that is quite a tough ask, though. Do it on demand. It's mind. not really. Do it on demand. There, there is pressure. pressure there is, but when you break it down, yeah, it really it is. I was just trying to be nice there, trying to be sportive. No, no, <laughs> no, no. I, Do you know what? I can't. And even afterwards, it is pressure, but... Jesus Christ, I mean, yeah. there's worse things you could I, be doing definitely. on a Monday afternoon. It's true. Yeah, it's true. Yeah. Come on, we're going to some porn. But I even said to my, like, because normally, like, obviously that goes on when the woman's having her eggs collected so they can mix it and make an embryo. And I'll always say to my other half, like, remember the weeks of injections I've had and what we've gone through? <laughs> don't, don't f*** this up. Yeah. And he's like, that oh helps. my God. That helps. Cheers. <laughs> <laughs> How can I do this now? It's like, come on now, we can't do this again. It has to be done today. So yeah, there is, there is pressure. Yeah. But yeah, it's not. There you go, the glamour of it all. Yeah, yeah I know, the brutalness. Well, yeah. James, thank you thank for talking you. to us today. It was really it, yeah, it was great. Really, really great. And being so open as well. Yeah. It's, um, it's so nice to just hear you be so open and honest as well. I appreciate it. You're going to now Google me on Shipwrecked, aren't you? A hundred percent. I'm going to be looking for that torso of the week. I was going to say, what torso of the week? Like, you've got to frame that. I'm yeah. sorry, James. There's no way he hasn't got it. No, I, it is, it, I have got it. Yeah, well, yeah. But framed. No, it's, it's not framed. Accessible. It's that bad. Like, it honestly, it's, no, it really is. It's not the best picture. It's not like the son used to do like Shagger of the Year or something. Well, that's what that. Peter Andre, yeah. you know, Mysterious Girl. That's what I feel like it's giving in my head. Oh God, we're going to be so disappointed. I know. No, you will be disappointed. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I did, yeah, I, I, I did prance around in my underwear on, on, on this morning once with did Eamon you? and Ruth. Yeah, Ruth took a, a shine in. Oh really? Good old Ruth. Yeah. Good old Ruth. Eamon wasn't happy. No, <laughs> no. Good old Ruth. That was better then, but yeah. No, yeah. we're still going to look it up. Definitely. Definitely. Um, Greatest show ever, I'm telling you though. Shipwreck 2007. If they do a reunion, will you go? Yeah. <laughs> Definitely. Are you kidding me? Desert Island in the middle of the South Pacific. It was unbelievable. I think you need to get in touch with them. Yeah. I, I mean, agree. <laughs> We'd be a bit boring now, though. Do you know what um, I mean? Yeah. Middle-aged shipwreck. No, yeah. I think... Do you know what? I'm I'm convinced. I'm over the whole Love Island thing. I watched My Mum, Your Dad, and I absolutely oh, really? loved it. I loved it. It's, you know, it's kind of like a bit of a Love Island for the older... Middle aged generation. Older, I'm steady, much more interested in yeah, that. Yeah, yeah, you're like, hang on. Yeah, I'm still young. Right, <laughs> still young. So, I haven't so dead bods rather than. Honestly, <laughs> I, I loved it. Loved every minute of it. It was much more interesting because they actually were right, real people rather than, yeah, you know, 20, 21 year olds who just want to be on telly. So. Is it entertaining? It was entertaining, I must say. Okay. It was. It was entertaining. <laughs> like, I, I loved it. It was good. Well, let's hope the producers are listening or somebody's it's listening. Been Anyone. It's been so renewed. Let's make it okay. Let's let's do it and add uh, what what do we call it? Like middle aged shipwrecked. I don't know. Shipwreck reunion. There's a few. Do you know? There's a Old few, wreck. There's a few faces. Hip Jeff Brazier was on shipwrecks. Yeah. <laughs> Jeff Brazier did it? shipwrecked. Yeah, yeah. There's a few of us. Yeah, still around. We're still get the gang hovering. back together. Yeah, get us back. Go live for a month somewhere. Yeah, we'll all come. Actually, <laughs> that'd be rubbish. Um, well, that's uh, Behind the Dugout. Remember to um, subscribe, to follow, do whatever you do when you listen to your podcast. We'll be there. Um, and again, Abby, thank you. Thank you. Very much. Um, and James, thank you very much. Thanks, guys. Thank you so much for listening. Don't forget to follow and subscribe to Behind the Dugout Podcast. And find us on Instagram at Behind the Dugout Podcast for announcements and exclusive video clips from here in the studio. We'll see you next time. Behind the Dugout Podcast. Powered 
by Paramex Digital.